and happy Monday. I am so excited to share this episode and I'm also just like, I don't know, I'm in a really great mood. So I feel like I'm excited to just share that with you all because as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I obviously deal with a lot of mental health issues and um, have in the past. So being in a good mood is like, I hate to say rare, but it, you know, it, it at least it's been rare for a while. So, yeah, I just wanted to share some of that excitement. Um, as some of you know, I'm currently in Austin, Texas. I moved here temporarily in um, just on December third. So, like a little over a month ago, or I guess it's actually going on two months. And I've been like absolutely loving the change of pace and the outdoors and being in warm weather. I mean, this I'm recording this on a rainy day, but tomorrow's going to be 75 degrees and sunny. So when this episode's out, I'll probably be like on a nice walk with a dog I adopted who has provided me infinite comfort and I just love her to death. Um, I also just like landed my dream job and... I really have so many blessings to count. I can't even begin. And it's one of those things where like in the past, if I were on this high, I know I would have kind of been like automatically re- like thinking about, okay, but like when's the other shoe going to drop? Like wh- wh- when's it going to get bad? So I, I, I found myself in that, you know, men- like mentality and, just stopping for a second and being like, okay, wait, but your life is so good now. Like, why not just sit in the moment? So I've been really sitting in it and just just taking it all in and, and enjoying every second of it. Hugging my dog, like, just really, as cheesy as it sounds, like, counting all of my blessings and being so grateful for everything that's happened. Um, but yeah, anyway, little tangent there. Wanted to just... <laughs> share that with you guys because I think it's important to recognize, you know, our highs because it, you know, I don't know if anyone else is going through a tough time, just know that I promise you, like there will be things like this where you'll sit back and be like, holy shit, wait, this is going so well. Like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, just prepare for those moments. And in those moments be like, I'm just going to enjoy all this and take it in because, you know, like these are fleeting, but when they happen, they make life worth it. So, sorry, I'm, I'm a little distracted. My dog is actually going insane. But anyways, um, before I jump into this episode of Talia, which was so fun to record, I wanted to plug BetterHelp because I don't think I would have been able to fully process everything great happening in my life if it weren't for my um, therapist, which sounds ironic, but um, I'll share a little anecdote. But basically when I first got to Austin and had my first session with my, my better help therapist, I, I went on this like kind of rant of like things that were stressing me out um, based on New York and my past. And of course my better help therapist like listened to everything. And then afterwards she was like, okay, but like, how about Austin? Like, how is that going? And it, it, it threw me off a little in the sense of, I was like, you're right. Like <laughs> I've been having a great time. I just need to get this off my chest. But I really, I really think that having that soundboard to unpack things that were going badly in New York and then also, you know, share things that were going really well here was so necessary and a key to my like success, so to speak. And, in everything in Texas and um it's just one of the many reasons I recommend therapy for everyone and I really just cannot say it enough so as I mentioned in every episode get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by using the code uh Zoe so if you go to try to uh, try betterhelp.com slash Zoe you'll get 10% off your first month cannot recommend it enough 
please try therapy. If you want to just start off your year the best you can, there's no better way. So again, try betterhelp.com slash Zoe or just betterhelp.com slash Zoe. You'll get 10% off your first month. You will not regret it. Um, but yeah, anyways, bef- it's a little preface before going to this episode. I absolutely love my conversation with Talia. But I do want to say like, obviously when we speak, it's a little heteronormative because being a straight female, I can only identify with the experience of being a straight female. Um, and that's also, again, the reason the name of this episode is how to not lose a guy in 10 days because I love that movie. I love Matthew McConaughey. Shout out Austin. Um, and yeah, it's a joke. So hopefully no one takes that too seriously. I think you'll enjoy the episode regardless. So without further ado, here is Talia. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited to be here with Talia Wemet, who is a matchmaker, dating coach, and founder of We Met Through Talia, which I just learned is a pun, and I love puns. Thanks so much for being here. <laughs> love it. Yes. So why don't you start off with telling me a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? How old are you? Where'd you grow up? What's your story? Sure. I would love that. So actually... Um, I'm originally from Montreal, so I'm originally Canadian. Oh, cool. Yeah, but I've lived in the U.S. for 21 years now, and um, I actually grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, so lived there for a really long time and then decided to move to New York and start a company. So, yeah, it's interesting growing up, you know, in the South and then going back up North, but it's been, it's just so nice to be back up here. (laughs) Yeah. So did you live with your family down in uh in Atlanta or in, did or did you go to school there or both? Both. I actually, like I grew up there. So I moved from Montreal to Atlanta when I was seven years old. So I fully was raised, you know, by like a French Canadian family, but I, you know, I immediately got acclimated to like the Southern culture and I ended up going to Georgia State University. So, um, and then after college, that's when I decided to pivot and do some other things. So Got it. So after graduating, did you go directly into matchmaking? Ooh, great question. Okay. So no, actually I got into finance. So I have a degree in economics and a minor in public speaking, right? Mm-hmm. And afterwards I decided to do finance and then that wasn't really a good fit for me. So then I got into tech and I enjoyed that. And I thought it was a great learning experience. Um, but at the end of the day, I wasn't passionate about it. You know, I have some friends that are really passionate about what they do, and I never felt like I had that. But another part of me was like, well, what do I enjoy doing that really makes me happy? And I was thinking, setting people up. Like, it was something that I was doing for fun on the weekends for so long. Like, we're talking, like, I would say as young as 16, and I did it all throughout college as well, and then I did it post-college. Um, so I finally called my mentor, and I said, I know I sound crazy, but I really think I need to pursue matchmaking. She was like, you don't sound crazy at all. She was like, look into it. Just see if there's an agency, you know, within the Atlanta area that you can work at and just test the waters. And if it doesn't work out, you can always go back to tech because you have the resume for it now. Just something to consider. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. So I researched a ton. I found out that matchmaking is actually a $2.2 billion industry to be in. Wow. So, I was like, wow, like I didn't even know about this. And then I also found out that the largest matchmaking agency in the Southeast was based in Atlanta, Georgia. So I reached out to the founders and, oh my gosh, I remember it was such a long interviewing process, but after six months of trying to get in the doors, they finally gave me a shot and they immediately saw my talents and they were like, okay, we definitely want you full time. And so I did leave my job in tech and became a full-time matchmaker. So that's kind of where it started. And then once I figured out how to run the business, because the founder actually really gave me a lot of mentorship, I was like, why am I working for someone else when I could be making three times the money and I could be also playing by my own rules because I didn't 100% agree with everything that was going on within the agency. And I kind of was like, I could do this even better, you know, a more modern version of it because this agency had been open for 20 years. So it's a little bit more old school, if that makes sense. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so then 
I finally just decided it was time and I, I sold everything I owned. I packed five bags. I booked a one-way flight ticket to New York, I had no place to live. I didn't have a job. Like I, I mean, you know, I just quit everything and I moved to New York and I just decided to work on this startup and I launched it on Valentine's day. Um, and this was the Valentine's day right before COVID started in March. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we, I launched it in 2020 and I was waitlisted by July. So, I mean, business has been incredible and it's just been the best thing I could have ever done for myself. That's so awesome. And like, I see a lot of myself in that story, not obviously with matchmaking, but in, you know, having a job, like having it pay rent, but feeling like you're not doing what you love and then making a pivot and having it ironically align with a global pandemic that, you know, affects people's mental health and dating life. So it's like power to you for, you know, it's crazy how those things just happen and align like at, at very weird times that, you know, I imagine part of it, like COVID must have added to the the demand so to speak for sure and also i think that you know i think we're all here to serve i think that we're all here on this planet to provide some kind of service to help people and i just knew that tech wasn't for me even though i was good at it and i was able to get by and it paid a lot of money but i just knew that wasn't my calling and i think that it's just so incredible that i was able to figure out my calling at such a young age and pivot, you know, and be able to do that. Um, and I encourage anyone, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't actually love my career. I encourage you to try things that maybe you enjoy doing on the weekends and see if you can turn that into a career because it's so life-changing when you actually get to wake up every day and you don't feel like it's work. Yeah. hundred percent. So now I'm really curious, like what was the onboarding process of working for a matchmaking, um, service company. I, I forget what you said. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Like what was that like? It was, it was interesting. It was very unconventional. So basically she put me on a trial because I guess at the time I didn't realize this, but you know, matchmaking can't be taught. It's either you're a natural born connector or you just don't have it. Mm-hmm. And she, there was just not enough interviews that she could do with me to figure out if I had it or not. So she put me on this trial and I had to bring forward clients that were interested in matchmaking. So she was able to check off like, okay, she's got the huge network. So she's like a salesperson. She's got the network. Cool. And then she also wanted to see, can I recruit? Like intuitively, do I know when I meet someone, I get to know them and I feel their vibe. Like, can I intuitively think, oh, wait, I know exactly who I need to choose to do. You would be great with Emily, for example. And just you know, I'm just making up names, but yeah. um, she, she really wanted to test me and see like, did you have, do I have it? So, um, it, yeah, the whole thing took about six months until she finally gave me a chance. And, you know, it is a family owned agency. So I think that's another part of it. She really wanted to make sure she'd bring a good person with good values. And she was, you know, just, and I think she did the right thing. I think that's incredible. And I think that's why everyone that works for her has been there for so long. That's so cool. And so you touched on it earlier, but you said like, matchmaking can't be taught it has to be within you so my next question was like what are qualities that you think make a good matchmaker like I said some a good quality that makes a good matchmaker is someone who is intuitive you've got to have that intuition that's the biggest biggest one another thing is you have to be a natural born connector Like whether you're a connector, like someone's talking about the fact that they hate their job and they're trying to find a new job and they love, you know, um, CRM, like you have to have that brain that like you immediately think, oh my God, wait, I know like six people that work for Salesforce. Let me connect Mm -hmm. you with so-and-so. If your brain isn't wired to be a connector and to immediately like connect the dots in three seconds, then like matchmaking isn't for that person. I think that, and it's so interesting because like at matchmaking conference, when we're getting together, it's like, we are all like that. So we're all just like, da, 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 da. like we just talk so fast and we're like, Oh my God, do you know so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? Oh, we should connect them. And I think that not everyone's like that. I'd say most people aren't like that. Yeah. Wait, that is so funny. You mentioned the word connector. Um, have you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, T- the tipping point? I have not, but I've heard such great things. Okay. Cause he says there's like three qualities that 
or three types of people like people that are what is it? it's like three types of like the most successful people one of them being the connector i was talking about this earlier today so i feel like i can like rat off and or <laughs> rattle off an elevator pitch but um and i wrote like one of my college essays on how i was a connector because of the places i've lived the the um, countries I've studied in and blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, so, and one of them, he literally calls connectors because they're able to, as you said, kind of like their network is so wide that they're able to connect two dots where the dots are like people and like have, you know, intangible things in common or have like one has a need and the other has a want and like all of that. So, um, Even like something is I even do matchmaking for friends. Like, you know, if I meet a girlfriend and we're out and about and she tells me how she's such a wine connoisseur and she specifically went to this vineyard in Italy and da da da, I immediately was thinking of my sister. I was like, Oh my gosh, you have to meet my sister. She went to the same vineyard in Italy and she's obsessed with that same one. You guys have to meet because you guys are gonna become best friends. And it's just it's such a funny thing when it happens and sometimes I have to turn it off. I'm like, no, be present. Like this isn't time to like connect people. Like this is like, you know what I mean? I just sometimes, um, I do have to learn how to turn it off. (laughs) So were you like that person, like that friend in college who was like constantly setting up your other friends? (laughs) Oh, for sure. I mean, it was just nonstop. Like I just can't help myself. And that's why like matchmaking you know, it, did it pick me or did I pick match me? I think it was such a combination of both. Yeah. It's, it, it was like your calling in a sense. Mm-hmm. For sure. So kind of moving into, you know, I guess you're the expert in dating. I'm not the expert in mental health, but have a platform where I talk about mental health. I want to kind of dive into the like cornerstone of the two. Um, sure. And so I'll just like give a personal example. So I, as I've mentioned on this podcast and to plenty of people have dealt with like a number of mental health issues. And there have been times in previous relationships where I've felt like either bringing it up, bringing up my past would hinder the relationship. Then I thought like once I did disclose, you know, um, some of my current issues, past issues, etc. It did hinder that <laughs> the relationship, and ultimately, I do think like a part of um, the reason that my one of my previous relationships ended was because of I don't know if it was because of how open I was being, or it was whether it was because um, the guy I was with wasn't comfortable with that. So you know that you can unpack it anyway you will it's always like a um hindsight is like not even hindsight's 2020 like you can you know rattle your brain a billion times but yeah but if it didn't work out he's not for you if it was because of mental health at the end of the day your person will fully accept you for all of what you are the good the bad and the ugly and the great and so if he can't take that with you know with all of what you are and all the good that you are then he's not your person. And it was just a great experience, you know? Like, it was a good life lesson experience. A hundred percent. And and you're exactly right. Like, things I know about myself and, like, what I value are, like, I want someone who is as in touch with their emotional emotion. Yeah, and, and like, self-aware as I am. For sure. Um, But... To like kind of turn to you. So you obviously, you know, have your clients that you work closely with. And so I imagine you get to know them on a very personal level. Do you what, like when you have a client consultation, do you ever is mental health ever something that's taken into consideration? It's such a great question. During consultation, do we just do we discuss mental health issues? OK, so my honest answer is no. It has not come up for me yet. Um, so, you know, I've only been in the matchmaking game for three years, right? Mm-hmm. Finally working at the agency and then having my own agency. So it has not come up. However, what has come up is clients have been open to me and said, hey, I know you're going to be my matchmaker slash dating coach as we go through this journey together, but I want you to know I do have a full-time therapist that I work, I see weekly. And I'm like, okay, that's great. I, I absolutely love that. You know, self-work is important. 
Um, so we do cover that stuff and they tell me a little bit about what their therapy sessions are like. And we kind of piggyback off that. But again, I'm a dating coach matchmaker. I'm not a therapist. So I will say this though, if I ever had to give advice to a client that had, that was suffering from, let's just say social anxiety or anxiety, I would tell them it is completely up to you and your comfort levels. If you want to disclose that with someone. And if you feel comfortable to do so, then I say 60 days, you know, really vet them first and figure out, is it a good fit for you to not, okay, here's the thing. If you're working with a matchmaker, I'm doing all the vetting for you. So I know it's a good, (laughs) so I'm just saying for anyone who's on the phone who doesn't have a matchmaker and they've done all the vetting and they're 60 days into it. And then you feel like you're in a comfortable place. Then by all means, you can share that with them. And you know what? It's such a great opportunity for you and that person to bond, you know, because then you come to, you come closer because there's vulnerability. You shared something really personal to you. And then that gives them also the space to maybe also be vulnerable and share something with you that maybe you didn't know about them. So 100%. I, yeah. So I just think it fully depends on the person and what they feel comfortable with. Yeah, I, I agree. So I think you kind of answered my next question, but it all, I, it also depends on, you know, what that 60 day window looks like, would, would you advise someone to disclose whatever, you know, demons are battling, whether it be anxiety, depression before they are, you know, in a committed relationship or before the relationship is quote unquote defined? Again, I think that you just, I think it's a hundred percent up to the person and their comfort levels. Um, I do not think it's something that they have to disclose. Um, I think that if you feel comfortable to do so, go for it. Um, Do it when you're ready. Now, if you're on a date four, I don't think it's something you should bring up. I think if you are about, you're about to pivot and become exclusive and you guys are about to have that conversation of, hey, are we monogamous? You know, are we in a relationship and I can call you my girlfriend, what have you? Then sure, I think that could be an appropriate time. And that could be within those six, you know, that, usually right about that time where it's at 60 days of, you know, being involved with someone where it turns into something more serious. So I think it's in alignment with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also it depends on like what one is disclosing. Like for example, I had anxiety and like now that I'm on medication for it, I, I don't, I don't feel like it's something I have to like wear on my chest. Like, Oh, by the way, I have anxiety. And so if I were to go on a date, I wouldn't like bring that up because it's, it's luckily like no longer something that I think defines me. However, like when I lost my friend to suicide, that was a, like a very, that is the reason, you know, I started this podcast, like so much of, what I do now and my, where my passions are now are because of that trauma. And so it's, I sometimes feel the, not necessarily the need, but it's a part of my identity. So it's like, if I'm on a date, maybe not date one, but like if I'm getting serious with someone, I feel like it would be, I would be like not expressing my full self if I weren't to, disclose that you know story and so in that sense like that is something I would bring up um so yeah I think that's fair but I think it's not something you lead with yeah yeah you want to put your best self forward and you know you have there's again you're not that doesn't define who you are right it's an experience you've gone through but it's not who you are so I would lead with you know your good qualities and some of your past experiences that are wonderful and whatever. And then when you really feel like that person and you are close enough, and that's when I think it's a good time to disclose those things and it can bring you guys so much closer. It's such a great bonding experience. Yeah. I keep thinking of like the bachelor, obviously that's been on my mind and it, you know, there's, it's tough because I, I mean, I'm a, I love the bachelor and I watch it even though I love to hate it as well. But there's sometimes I watch it and I'm like, it's it almost seems like a competition of like who has the saddest story, because if 
you know, someone opens up about like a really horrible experience they went through and then someone else is just like been very fortunate enough to not have to have a good life. You know, then the lead is like this. And I think this is becoming more of something now as opposed to in the past. But the bully is like, you're not being vulnerable enough, blah, blah, blah. And then, as you said, you know, when when you share something like that, it does bring people closer, which I think is why these relationships expedite so quickly and then et cetera, et cetera. Then people get married and then they get divorced and blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is exclusively from The Bachelor I'm speaking to. But um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that and like how soon people or producers ask the contestants to, you know, open up about these really personal issues? You know, I think those producers are just looking for one thing and that's high ratings, Mm -hmm. drama. And I don't think it's real life. I don't think that what they're doing is how it should go in real life. I think it is way too soon to disclose those things. But again, their number one goal is to have high ratings and to draw those people in to get emotions from the audience. And that's what they do successfully. But I don't think that's what you should be doing in real life whatsoever. Oh, I completely agree. And I, th- I think it also, I mean, I'm just thinking, for example, of like Tasha's season. And uh, I thought, did you watch like last season? I did. Uh, well, briefly, I was always at my neighbor's place and her and I were just we would talk through half of it and not listen because she'd always ask me for my matchmaking, like her dating coach advice. Yeah. She'd be like, wait, what do you think of this scenario? Do you think that she's being genuine and authentic? Or do you think that she's playing him because she's trying to do X, Y, Z? And, you know, so. Oh, that's so funny. It brings like a whole psychological element to it. Yeah. We should have, we should have done a podcast about my interpretation of. Oh my gosh. Literally like follow up, like part two, hundred percent down. Um, but it's interesting because, like, you know, when, when Ben opened up about, I mean, it was, like, never-ending. First, he opened up about his eating disorder, which is, like, the most shame-based mental health um, or mental illness, like, there is. So that was incredibly vulnerable of him. And then he talks about, you know, multiple suicide attempts. And my head is just like, holy shit, he's known this girl for, like, what, two weeks? And he's literally like pouring his heart out to not only her but like millions all of america who watches the bachelor and only to get dumped twice like it just like boiled my blood and Mm -hmm. can i just tell you what that's called in matchmaking and in dating coaching that's called oversharing (laughs) so i coach all my clients i'm always like you know if you're about to go on a date just remember don't overconsume alcohol. Make sure you bring your best self forward. If you need to meditate or do any breathing exercise before a date, just to make sure you're in that good headspace that you bring your best self forward. But I also I remind them, do not overshare. They don't need to know everything about you yet. Like it should be 50, 50 conversation. You speak 50% of the time. They speak 50% of the time. And it should be a flow. And like some of these really deep, deep things just don't need to be disclosed in the early phases. That's something that is earned. Like you have the right, you have, you've worked towards getting to know me on that different level. It's kind of like an onion, right? You're peeling the layers. We don't just, when we're peeling an onion, we're not just peeling the outer layer and we make it to the core, right? It's the same thing. So when people like Ben overshare and do all this stuff, again, the producers of The Bachelor, of course they're eating this stuff up and they're like, oh my God, the ratings are going to be great. Yeah. And they probably, I mean, they probably got to do that in the first place. Like, let's be real. Of course. Um, but I just don't think that that's good practice at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. And I think, again, it was like a double-edged sword for him because, I mean, I, I've i read so many things about The Bachelor. Like, I can, I bet the producers, you know, were like, you know, she's probably not going to think you're being vulnerable enough unless you share X, Y, or Z. And then he does. And then... She get, he gets sent home and is criticized for being too stoic. And it's like, of course he's stoic. He just shared this for the first time on national television. Like, he's probably grieving. So, um, yeah, again, I was blood, blood was boiling. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I mean, me too. That was such a mess. <laughs> so 
as a dating coach, like what advice would you give to someone on how to initiate that type of conversation, whether it be opening up about, you know, um, trying to think like a, a history with mental illness, a like a loss in one's life, um, an addiction, recovery, et cetera. Like how, what should one approach that conversation? So here's the thing. Again, I really think that you need to feel comfortable and you need to be in a really good setting for that. Like a loud restaurant would not be the right setting because the waiter can come up and interrupt and just throw the whole thing off. You really want to be in a comfortable place, maybe like your apartment or his house or what have you. And I think it's something as simple as just sitting on the couch and like you guys just chit-chatting and just bring it up. Be like, hey, there's something about myself that I would really love to share with you. And then he's going to be like, oh, sure. You know, what's going on? And I think that right there, that introduction, because you want to prep them, right? You want to tell them like, hey, this is important to me. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And not just like, like, oh, by the way. Yeah, I would not. Yeah, no, I would not be like, by the way, I experienced X, Y, Z. And then, you know, then their mic drops. It's like, they weren't even ready. You know, those gifts that Kevin Hart, he's like, he wasn't ready. It's like, (laughs) we don't, we don't want to recreate that moment. Um, We want to prep it a little bit and just say, hey, there's something that I really like to share with you. There's something that I've gone through in my past and I'm ready to talk about it with you. So kind of set your partner's expectations as like, this is going to be a serious conversation. Absolutely. Pre-framing that this is going to be a serious conversation. Yes. And then kind of on the flip side, you know, obviously not everyone is a matchmaker. Not everyone's a therapist. Not everyone has even been to therapy. Like one can't expect a perfect response from their partner. But I think at the same time, there are like red flags to look out for. So my question is like, what red flags would you look out for in a response? Great question. So as far as red flags go, in a response to disclosing a mental health issue or something very deep and personal, if they don't show any empathy, sympathy to any capacity, I think that is a red flag. And it should you should dig a little deeper and figure that out. Because if they don't at all feel anything and they just immediately start talking about football, it, it's a huge defining moment of where this relationship is going. Yeah, completely. And I think because remember, you just pre-framed it. You just told them, hey, this is something really important to me and I'm ready to discuss it with you. So if they just immediately switch to a different topic, then it shows that like either A, they can't be vulnerable, which is also not a good sign of like a good partner or B, I mean, there's just so many angles of this, right? I could make yeah. this all day. It's definitely a red flag if they can't show any sympathy or empathy, one of the two. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so interesting too, like how you you connected it back to how you open the conversation because that's a perfect way of putting it. It's like if you mention it in a casual setting and they respond casually, that's a more gray area than say, it's like sitting someone down, like sitting on a couch or bed, whatever, and saying like, there's something I want to share with you and them being completely like, deadpan like no response so I I love that method of making sure that like going into it the your partner knows it's a serious conversation or so to speak for sure Mm -hmm. so now I'm curious on and I love your opinion on this because I feel like I selfishly want it because for my own advice um but I think so I'm obviously a very open person I share my like feelings and thoughts and whatever on like into this microphone and that's disseminated through whatever the podcast world but obviously not everyone's like that and I think as you mentioned like or you touched on finding or you know not having a partner that has any like willingness to share vulnerability or open up or show any um, hints of empathy or sympathy is like a red flag. But obviously, you know, it's hard for people to open up and it takes p- different people like ver- different time frames. So 
I guess for someone who's like, let's say in a serious relationship, but is still having like a difficult time having their partner, getting their partner to open up, what advice would you give that person and what are ways to, you know, get your partner to open up without prodding and nagging and et cetera? You know, I think that's an interesting question. Um, I don't think you can force someone to be a more open person and to go deep with you. I think that you have to get people at face value. So if they just can't go deep and that's just not in their capacity, you have to accept them for who they are. And if that doesn't resonate with you, then you need to find a different partner. And that's just the bottom line. And I know I sound so just like, you know, (laughs) hardcore about it, but I, I truly feel that because I can relate to that. I'm a very deep person and I love having these in-depth conversations about things I've gone through and vice versa. I love being vulnerable. And if I can't have that emotional connection with my partner, then it's not a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. And I've just learned that through my experience in dating. So I say that to anyone, if you, if you have, you have to have that, you know, deep conversation and talk about your feelings and talk about things you've gone through. And you don't just want to talk about football and very surface level things or how was work today, babe, you know, those kind of conversations, small talk, whatever. If you want to go way deeper than that, then you have to find your equal match. And that just means picking a partner that can go there with you. And when you identify that they can't, don't force it because guess what? You're wasting your time. And that's just the truth. And it's hard because you may have already put in X amount of time, but do yourself a favor and just find the right fit and vet properly for yourself. Yeah, no, that's, I think, great advice. And it's like, it's one of those things where if it's not a deal breaker right away, like it will ultimately be the deal breaker in your relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. And you know, when I'm doing matchmaking, when I have a client that goes really deep with me from the get go and we go really deep together, I immediately know they can go there and be vulnerable. So I'm going to set him up with someone that I know can be vulnerable, that I know can go deep too. I'm not going to set him up with some, you know, girl, pretty girl that just likes to talk about surface level things. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely don't do that because then it's a waste of his time, you know? So yeah. completely matchmaking. <laughs> Wait, okay. This is, this was like not planned, but I'm now so curious. So you, I, from what it sounds like, you know, a lot of what you're mentioning is like having very important things in common with your partner. And so my first question is, what are your thoughts on the saying opposites attract? Oh my gosh. It's so funny. A dating coach in the UK and I were just talking about that today. Um, we, we completely disagree with it. We think that opposites do not work. I think that there's, I think that the people that scream, oh my God, opposites attract, it's because they might have had, they might have a great sex life with that person. And in the bedroom, they make it work and it's phenomenal. But I think that like, if you look at the values, I mean, and again, that's just like my example of what I've heard, right? Just Mm -hmm. feedback. But I don't think opposites should end up marrying each other. I think you should really find someone that you have similar values. Like when I do a consultation with a client, I cover you know, political views, religious views. I cover like, what is your value system? One through 10, rank them. Starting 10 is the highest ranking. I want to make sure that I really pair them with the person that is a good fit so that they don't hit these major speed bumps later down the road. Yeah, it's so interesting. So I just finished reading The Defining Decade by Dr. Meg Jay. I think that's her name, I'm not sure. And one of the things she talks about is like the big five. Have you heard of this? No, tell me. Okay, so basically it's like she talks about when people look for a partner, they usually look for – they want to have things in common like religion or political views. Um, I'm trying to think of something else. Like, yeah, religion, political views, like very, like, basic things, whereas they should be looking at having – the big five in common. So those are five factors that describe how people interact with the world. So basically the, their openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. 
And so like, and then you can be on a scale of like one to five in each with like one being like the le- like, you know, not very open and five being really open. So I think that one like aligns the most with this conversation in that, you know, I'm a very open person and like I thus want to look for a partner who is willing to also be like in the four to five range of openness. Does that make sense? I agree with this doctor hundred percent. I think that's so important. And when I look at these successful matchmaking stories and I think about the couple, they do have those five things in common and those like whatever rankings they have, I would say that they're about accurate. So I think that's a very good gauge. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so interesting too. Cause I used to be such a firm believer in opposites attract. And the more I like no. the older I become, I'm like, Oh, the older I become. Um, I mean like I, opposites attract as in like, okay, you know, maybe someone who is, has very dark features is dating a girl who has fair skin and blonde hair and blue eyes. Like, yes, opposites can attract as far as like physical features. But I think as far as like their core value system, that is just, it's, it's a, it's a relationship filled with so many compromises. And it's like, why would you want to do that when you yeah. can just pick someone that you have so many similar common ground where you don't have to constantly have these like compromises. Right. Yeah. And I think what the opposites, like where that can come in is like in experiences, but not necessarily experiences that, you know, are underpinned with different values, but rather like two people who really value traveling and one person is like lived in Japan and the other person has always wanted to go. And that way it's like, but like, let's say for some reason their job has left them stuck in the United States, but like they share that common interest in culture or value of culture and like are attracted. And so they're attracted to each other or one's attracted to the guy in Japan. This is a completely hypothetical scenario because of like having been there, but ultimately they still share that same core value. No, for sure. And I also think when you were talking about being an introvert versus extrovert opposites attract, I do think that there's a, if someone is extremely on the extroverted side, right? Like for me, for example, I am so outgoing. I'm, I love to network. I get energy off being in big crowds, right? So versus someone who gets drained in those environments, someone who would rather be a homebody all the time. And they really have a hard time with being social. Like that's not a match. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about these things. And when I'm doing matchmaking, I 1000% make sure that that's gone. You know, that that's also part of my vetting process. I want to make sure that these two people can come together and agree on doing things together rather than, you know, putting each other in constant compromises. Yeah. No, that is, that's so true because as you said, like it'll A, I think build up resentment towards your partner and B, like ultimately one person will always be making a compromise for the other and then it will just slowly probably fade out until there's no, they're no longer willing to make a compromise. For sure. Hey guys, me really quick. I just wanted to talk about a couple of my amazing sponsors. The first being Sakara. Sakara is a company that delivers fresh, organic, perfectly portioned meals um, right to your home or your you know, virtual office or wherever you are so that you can get back to feeling really good again, both mentally, physically, etc. I feel like at the beginning of every year, you know, you're thinking about like, how do I become my best self for 2021 or whatever? And a lot of that usually is around like eating well, um, whether it be for your like physical, you know, health or your mental well-being. And something I love about Sakara is like their philosophy is very like based on, it's very much based on like eating well so that you can feel what well in your brain, feel well in your body. Um, and they have a bunch of different programs, whether it's like their signature program or their 10-day reset. Um, and then they have a clean boutique where I get my probiotics and metabolism super powder. So I just highly recommend them. They really are about like feeding your like mind, body, and soul, which is super cool. So if you want 20% off your order, you can go to sakara.com and then they use the code XOZOE at checkout. So again, that's sakara.com. Code is XOZOE and you'll get 20% off your order. So I always wrap up by asking some questions unrelated to anything we talked about unrelating to dating um, or matchmaking, et cetera. 
So the first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Great question. This is an easy one though. So something that's made me stronger in my life, I would say that in 2011, I had the world's worst car accident and I almost died from it. And overcoming all those injuries, like it took about, it was about a six month to a year recovery. So I think that that experience has made me such a strong person because whenever I face a really bad day, I think back on that day when that car accident happened, I'm like, no, this is not a bad day. I know what a bad day is. A bad day is waking up in the hospital and not knowing what day, what time it is, and you can't walk and you're just, you know, everything's completely paused. Your entire life is on pause. That's a bad day. So I think that that experience really made me a stronger person. It's just made me a warrior. Um, And I'm so grateful that that car accident happened. Yeah. Wow. I'm so happy you're okay. Thank you. (laughs) Crazy times, but you know, it was, um, yeah, it just makes you so much more resilient. So yeah, I completely agree. Next question is, do you believe everything happens for a reason? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in coincidence. I could make so many different examples, but you know, 1000%. What about you? Do you agree? I go back and forth. Like I sometimes like, you know, when COVID hit, I'm like, what is the reason this happened? But then I think, I think there's definitely a silver lining that can be found in everything that happens and like something that can be learned. But then also at the same time, like, you know, I'll be like, if I didn't go out on this one day and meet this person who introduced me to this person, like, I wouldn't have met my best friend, my partner, why, whatever. So it's, so then things like that happen, like the butterfly effect. And I'm like, ah, it's, maybe something's up there. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I really go back and forth. Um, next question is, do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Ooh, that's a great question. A favorite quote or mantra that I live by. You know, I do actually, I mean, I have a couple mantras, but I think one of them right now is whatever is meant for me will not be withheld from me. Oh, I like that. And I say that because I really think that if you meet someone, I'm just giving you like a complete example. If you meet someone and you think that they're a potential partner, right? And there's all these obstacles and you have to remind yourself, you know what, if this is meant for me and this is my forever person, it will not be withheld from me and things will work out in the end. Yeah. I love that quote. And I was just thinking of another one that I hear a lot and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the saying, if he likes you, you'll know. If he doesn't, you'll be confused. Have you heard that? I have. Yes. I actually, I completely agree with it. I think if you're left confused, it's a telltale sign that he's not interested. Yeah. I I agree too. And I think it's like once, and like I've been in situations where, you know, I've, I've had like a feeling like of like, you know, if he likes you, like I knew. And then every, and like, I always have to like tap back into that feeling of whenever I'm like, Oh, but I think, this guy's interested or like whatever I'm like no 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 (laughs) think back to like this time in your life like you were having a much different feeling (laughs) right exactly Mm -hmm. next question is what do you love most about yourself what do I love most about myself Mm. a tough one I would probably say the fact that I'm a connector I think that I get so much fulfillment out of seeing good people come together that I'm really, I'm really glad I have this, we'll call it a gift because I get to see so many people end up together or even like I see business relationships come together. Um, I, I've connected someone who got their dream, got their dream job because I, you know, put them in front of the director or what have you. And so I think that that's probably quality of mind that I love the most. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's like, and it's also, I mean, even like, I guess this would be like a tangent of that quality, but being able to get joy out of other people's successes is just like a beautiful quality in any person. Oh, for sure. And that's, I was just talking to someone about that, how I think that there's, 
there's a piece of the pie for everyone. Like we can all make it. There's, I don't live in this mindset of, you know, there's competition out there. I think we can all make it. And I think we have to constantly bring each other up and help one another. And I truly believe in kindness. And I do think that there's good people in this world. So yeah, I think it's important to. Mm -hmm. When's your birthday, by the way? <laughs> so random. My birthday is July 3rd. I'm a cancer. Oh, okay. That's why I wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's why you wanted to know. I'm, I'm super into astrology, but I, I was like, I don't, I don't know much about it. I just, I just wish I did. And I know that I identify as a Virgo, so not sure if you know much about. I do. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cancer is great. Yeah. Does it align with like being a connector and having matchmaker skills? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not sure. I, I know that I take after my mom. She's such a matchmaker and she's such a little connector. So I know that genetically speaking, scientifically speaking, I get it from her. That's so funny, and um, and I'm sure she's proud of like what you've what you've accomplished. For sure. My last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? You know what? Can I ask you that question? Can you go first? Ooh. I mean, it's it's difficult thinking of like. Pre-COVID, I guess, is like what I'll resort to because, you know, it's a little different now. But I don't know. Actually, whenever, even like pre-COVID, during COVID in New York City and Austin, I find solace in just having a really good conversation with someone. And that's why I'm like so grateful for this podcast because it allows me to literally do that and share it with the world and just have an hour or so to speak with someone and really get to know them on a deeper level. And, um, yeah, I think that's something, you know, that's a way to find solace in whatever place I am. So that's how I'll answer. I change up my answer from last time. <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. I think that just being able to connect with people, mm -hmm. you know, and especially after being quarantined for so long during, you know, during the actual pandemic, I think that, having that comfort of really getting to know someone and connecting, I think is so important and yeah, just putting yourself out there. I completely agree. Well, Talia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so excited. We were able to finally do this. Where can everyone follow you follow? We met through Talia. Did I say yes? And, um, you know, learn more about, um, you as a dating coach and a matchmaker. Honestly, if they want to learn more about it, they can just go to my website. It's www.wemetthroughtalia.com. Um, or they can follow me on Instagram. I have my website on my bio as well. Um, my Instagram handle is just my first last name. So T-H-A-L-I-A-O-U-I-M-E-T. Amazing. Well, thank you again and bye everyone.